like I only got any form of sex education in middle school because my high school didn't do that. My high school was a private high school. So they got to determine what they taught you and sex education was not one of those things. And uh, yeah, you know, high school age kids don't need to know about sex. No, no, no. We don't don't have sex. What are you talking about? Oh my God. Um, Welcome to the Controversial Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie. This podcast takes deep dives into today's most controversial topics, and today we are discussing sex education. More specifically, how sex education has failed everybody. I brought on an amazing guest. Their name is Zoe, and they are currently getting their master's in social work in hopes of becoming a sex therapist as well as a sex educator so that they can fix the sex ed problems from both ends, not only helping the people that grew up with terrible sex education and now need the help of a sex therapist, but also preventing that for future generations by providing better sex education. Now, when I first met Zoe, I was so drawn to them because of this incredible goal So we also did a podcast over on the Queer Collective podcast. If you don't know, I help organize a queer group called the Queer Collective. It's an adult queer advocacy group, and one of the best projects that comes out of it is the podcast. It's hosted by Anthony and Ryan, and they do an incredible job tackling queer issues, queer topics. It's just an incredible little podcast that they they put so much love and effort into, and I highly recommend going to check it out. So Zoe and I did an episode over on the Queer Collective podcast where we focused on how sex education has failed the queer community, so I highly recommend going and checking that out as well. Now with that, the outline for this podcast is available publicly over on my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash McKenzie. It's also linked in the description of this podcast, so definitely go check that out. There's also the outlines for all the other episodes that we've done that provide not only the questions that I've asked, the topics that I want to bring up, but also resources for you to continue your education and continue learning about these topics. Now, while you're there, I would definitely recommend considering subscribing to the Patreon. The lowest tier is only $3, and with that tier, you get two additional podcasts per month. Um, The last one was an episode with Zoe, and we talked all about group sex. It's definitely worth your $3, trust me. But if that doesn't get you, then this will. The next episode that's coming out is the episode about me interviewing a cop. We talked about ACAB. We talked about defunding the police. We talked about Trump. So I promise you, it is worth your $3. So go check it out while you're there. Consider subscribing. It means the world to me when you do. Now, with that, I'm going to stop rambling and let's just dive right in. And welcome to the podcast, kind of again, Zoe. I am so glad to see you or have you here, see you. You know, everyone gets to see you. I get to see your beautiful face. Not everyone else does. Um, (laughs) But thank you for being here. Um, Before we get going on this really important topic that we're both extremely passionate about, I want to give you, of course, the space to introduce yourself and tell us why you are so passionate about this topic. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, My name is Zoe. I go by they, them pronouns. I'm Pats for Zoe on TikTok and Instagram. I got started, I've always just been kind of a sex nerd. It's just always been like kind of something I've been very interested in relationships and sex. So I'm in the process of becoming a sex therapist right now. um, And I really, my goal is to honestly just educate the world about sex. And uh, specifically because I did get such a bad sex education, I want to heal the people that went through very similar things to me and also uh, educate if I can. (laughs) That's 
Wonderful. And I have said this on the, because you came on our private, or a private episode of the podcast and we did an incredible episode all about yes. group sex. It was really, really fun. And we went over just because you have so much <laughs> information. Fun. It was so much fun um, because you have so much information. So you were able to tell us lots of, like, <laughs> you know, words and, and, you know, the, the, how to get consent and rules. So if anybody's interested in that, I think it's worth your $3 to go check out the exclusive episode over on the, um, on the <laughs> Patreon. But on that episode, I definitely said that when we first started talking, I was like, I need to be best friends with this person because they are so cool. And I just love, love, <laughs> love your goal of wanting to not only heal like our generation, because we obviously are or pay the consequences mm-hmm. of getting such a bad education, but you want to fix that for the future by providing that education. It's just such a beautifully packed goal. I, I love it Definitely. so, so much. And we also did an episode <laughs> over on the Queer Collectives podcast with Ryan. You and I just did that. It came out on Friday, the 7th, 8th, something like that. Um, and we talked about mm-hmm. the subject, but focusing a little bit more on how it affects the LGBTQ community because the lack of sex education yes. really, really affects our queer community, which we are both a part of um, to a whole nother degree. But today we're going <laughs> to back it up a little bit and talk about how sex education has failed everybody, how it's just been mm-hmm. a terrible, <laughs> terrible way that we have handled it that has failed absolutely everybody. Um, But one of the things that we actually didn't, or I forgot to mention, or like didn't even think about mentioning on the TQC, the Queer Collective episode, was we talked about HIV, we talked about AIDS and how those things greatly affect the queer community. One of the Mm -hmm. things that I think that we didn't bring up was how it's still taught today. So we, we know that one of the things about the United States is only 13 states require that sex education is medically accurate. That's a very small percentage of the 50 states require for sex education to be medically accurate. Oklahoma is a state that kind of does some sex education, not really. They they mostly stress abstinence. But when they do teach about HIV, they say that among some other things, homosexual activity is responsible for the contraction of the right. AIDS virus. And mm-hmm. so I think that goes to show just how inaccurate and terrible the education that we're getting is, the information that we're getting is because it's obviously not responsible for contracting the AIDS virus. We know that that is not medically accurate, but they're allowed to say it. They're they're somehow allowed to say information that is not medically accurate, that perpetuate really dangerous stereotypes and really just dangerous information to be put out there. Right. They're using uh, fear tactics and also to push an agenda of being anti-LGBT. It's extremely problematic. And I think that's just an example. And if you want to hear more, we talked about this in depth, again, like I said, on the TQC episode of the podcast, I would definitely go check that out. That's kind of how this one came to be. We decided that we would do a little crossover and talk about how it's kind of really messed up everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with that, I think one of the things that we should mention is the current accepted definition of a comprehensive sex education is to have 
developmentally and culturally responsive, science-based and medically accurate information on a broad set of topics related to sexuality, including human development, relationships, personal skills, uh, sexual health, and society and culture. So that's the definition of comprehensive sex education. That's not actually what happens in many places. Even with comprehensive sex education, that's not what happens. Yeah, (laughs) And there's so much lacking from that. Mm -hmm. So I don't think really anywhere by this definition, I wouldn't say anywhere has comprehensive sex education, at least not state-wise totally. Like maybe some schools that are really progressive and and doing great jobs, you know, small places or small districts are doing a good job. But on a whole, I don't think there's any state that is regulating comprehensive sex education. Right. The only times I've seen anything that's even close to what the goal should be for sex education, it's usually private schools that are very liberal or specific after school programs. In any public school system, you're going to get kind of the same kind of very basic um, and not complex enough sex education that doesn't cover relationships, doesn't cover consent, doesn't cover pleasure, like any of the things necessary to actually have a healthy and productive sex life. So even by that definition, which is a generally a, a good-ish definition, it still does leave kind of a lot up to interpretation. Like it's saying that it includes relationships and personal skills, but those things are all subjective, right? Like what mm-hmm. do you think a like healthy relationship is, is subjective, right? So I think this definition is a good start as to what we should be moving towards, but it's Mm -hmm. definitely not an end goal because it's not as specific as it should be. Like we need to be having like a very specific outline as to what comprehensive sex education is and not just kind of this very broad statement. Right. And when does this comprehensive sex education begin? Like in in my mind, sex education should begin from the time you're a child onward, Mm -hmm. like just very basic things. It can be comprehensive for any age and it can be age appropriate. That's also so so true is that we should be doing it from a young age. I know that there are many places that say that you should be teaching sex ed from kindergarten um, all the way up. And I full wholeheartedly agree that you should be teaching sexual health or, you know, like physical health from a kindergarten, like years up. And so that you know, people know how to at least take care of their own bodies first and foremost, right? But yeah, like you said, comprehensive can change depending on the age. And then you can, of course, build upon what you've already learned, right? If there is a uh, system or if there is a way of regulating that, then you could see that, okay, kindergarten, they would have learned this, this, and this. So in first grade, we're going to build upon that and teach this, this, and this. And that, that right. kind of continues, right? And, and we're stigmatizing these things by not doing that. Like if we're going to tell a child like, oh, this is your arm, this is your nose, but then we're going to avoid an entire part of your body and just not having the names for it. Like we even like, you know, have all these fake names like PP and like all of these, like, (laughs) I just remember that's like what my parents would call it, you know, like if you just call it what it is, it's not as scary. It's, it's yours. It's, it's a vulva. It's okay. Like, yeah. And I think it also goes down to who is teaching this as well, right? Because so many places have like your like algebra teacher or your gym teacher teaching you sex education because it's not taken seriously. So it's just like a teacher that's already there that can, that can also teach the subject that's going to teach it to you. But there, there have been several studies that have shown that that blurs the subject, right? It blurs this kind of line where like your algebra teacher should be your algebra teacher, right? They should be teaching you math and that's kind of it. Like you should be going to them for math. Yeah. What they know. 
know. And we all know that sex and those kind of things can be kind of a weird subject, especially when you're first getting introduced to it. And when you're first kind of getting your reins on it, right? Like we've Mm -hmm. spent years kind of normalizing ourselves with it, but I'm, you know, I'm sure when you were younger, when I was younger, it was kind of like this, like he, he, he subject Mm -hmm. that, you know, was kind of approached with a little bit of, uh, uh, standoffish, I guess, standoffishness, yeah. right? But if we had a professor that was dedicated to being your health professor, then it's not, you're not blurring that line between, oh, my algebra teacher is now teaching me about vaginas. It's yeah. oh, the, the vagina teacher is teaching me about vaginas and exactly. that I can take a lot more seriously, right? Right. So yeah, in, in my, my experience in my school, we did have a stranger come in for a few sessions to have sex education. Um, I think it was in fifth or sixth grade. Um, we had like an outside teacher come in and it was made it kind of a really weird, scary experience. You had to like get a signed permission slip. It made it very awkward. They uh, divided uh, boys and girls. So like we didn't learn about what each other learned about. So it was just very, it was a very awkward and uncomfortable experience. And why is someone's sex sex ed experience has to be different? And why can't we learn about each other? It's like, that makes it even more taboo. That makes it more taboo. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a really strange experience all around and I yeah both of those don't sound like great because then you don't want to talk about because I've also had uh then like my my history teacher also was teaching sex education and it's like okay like do I want to talk about that with this person and these people aren't health experts you know no at all they're not health experts and it would just be so much more normalized if it was a teacher like a designated teacher like that's that's the health perfect that's the health teacher and they teach about health which includes sexual health, which includes all these Mm -hmm. other aspects, but we don't necessarily do that. And, you know, I remember like, I only got any form of sex education in middle school because my high school didn't do that. My high school was a private high school. So they got to determine what they taught you and sex education was not one of those things. And, uh, yeah, you know, high school age kids don't need to know about sex. No, no, no. We don't don't have sex. What are you talking about? Oh my God. Um, (laughs) <laughs> the amount of students at my school like we had like a little like infirmary that wasn't regulated but the amount of students that like had sex in the infirmary oh my God. like like the space that's supposed to be like a health space like you're using it oh god it was so bad oh gosh so bad and you're not teaching about it so bad so bad. we're just gonna do it in the school yeah so. we're just gonna do it anyway <laughs> that's that's how it is right like you're yeah, just gonna do is. it anyways and that's that's the, that's just the normal thing that happens yeah. um, but I remember like I got some in middle school and it was a lot of like fear mongering like it was yeah. like like if you're gonna have six here's all the stds and what they look like and these are genital warts and like and like yes you should be teaching about those things but not in a way that's for one stigmatizing them yeah like calling them being dirty or being clean like those yeah, words clean. we need to do away with right I still hear that today and I always tell people like no like it's I've been tested or not like don't say it's not dirty it's not clean that's yeah yeah <laughs> Like I, I am positive for, or negative for even that can be like kind of stigmatizing because positive and negative kind of has like a connotation to it, but clean and dirty is worse. And they definitely use those words. And it was just a lot of like kind of fearing you into this, right? Like, Mm. like here's like the big consequences and yes, we should be talking about things and educating about those things so that we know to use protection and how to protect ourselves and, you know, what the consequences of not being protective and, and that kind of stuff is but not in a sense that makes you afraid to be doing these things (laughs) yeah that's something I I when I was listening back to our queer collective podcast podcast (laughs) I (laughs) I also um was 
listening to the HIV section that we were talking about. And um, we did also fail to mention the stigma around it, like because, you know, HIV is not a death sentence in the way that we like thought, think it was or taught it was anymore. You know, there are ways to prevent it. There's ways to like still live a happy and healthy life being HIV positive. Um, and just with all of these STDs, like and STIs, you know, we like act like it's the end of the world. And there are literally doctors that like, like, for example, herpes, it is the most common. And like, basically, what is it like 80% of people have one type of Mm -hmm. herpes, I believe. And most uh, health professionals will not test you for it because so many people have it. And then some professionals will not tell you if you do test positive, because the stigma around it is more damaging to someone's psyche than actually the thing itself. <laughs> yep. One of the things that I think people don't know is that when you get your like annual pap smear or biannual, depending on what your doctor recommends, it's different for different aged people. But you know, if you're above the age of 18 or above the age of 21, you should be definitely getting a, a pap smear at least like every mm-hmm. other year. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> and that's not talked about for one, like you don't know that your, your school doesn't teach you that your, your parents are supposed to be responsible to teach you that. But many of us don't have the responsible parents to be teaching that or to be guiding us to those situations. So yeah. our schools should be teaching it to us, but we don't learn that you should be getting a pap smear every other year, or at least every year as a person with a vagina. But one of the things that I don't think we also don't talk about is that we think that the that means that you're also getting tested, but that does, that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Like I, if I'm asked if I'm sexually active, I just say yes. And a lot of people will joke and be like, yes, but I can't be pregnant. I just say yes. Like, I don't give a shit if you think that I can be pregnant or not. I just say yes, because if they think you're sexually active, then they will test you for the STDs and they yeah. will test, they will give you STI testings. But if they, if you say, oh yes, I am sexually active, but only with women, they are less likely mm-hmm. to test you for STIs, which yeah. is so hugely fucked up for one and should not be how it's handled but that's how it is handled currently by a lot of medical professionals so if you are going there just say yes if even if they're like then you might be pregnant just be like okay am I pregnant give me give me a piss test like that's fine I'll I'll be in a cup like like like, yes, doctors are fucking stupid like we know that I mean not all doctors but a lot of them are really (laughs) stupid especially the older generation of medical professionals can be really unempathetic uh, toward what we're, you know, the newer generations and how we're handling things. So if you go there, just, just be like, yeah, 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 bitch, I'm, I'm sexually active. Test me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I usually, I don't recall going to ever going to a routine checkup with them asking if I want to have a STD. I always just ask myself. Yeah. I, I don't think they like automatically do it in my experience. No, like I don't I know you no, have to specifically ask yeah you have to specifically ask or say like that you are like sexually active with more than one monogamous right. partner because if you right. say oh I've been in a only had this one partner which I think is also even that not, is a problem even yeah. that's a problem because your one monogamous partner might not be necessarily monogamous with you yeah and how does your doctor know that right like so mm-hmm. uh, that in itself is an issue but I I will blatantly be like I am slutty and like it doesn't yeah it doesn't matter if I have been slutty that year or not I could have literally yeah. had just one partner that year that's that's happened where I've slept with just one person that year yeah. but but I still want the STI testing I still want totally. to receive it so I'm I'm like yes <laughs> yeah <laughs>
please test me. <laughs> yeah, you just, you never know what the situation is, even in monogamous relationships. That's how a lot of people don't realize that they have STIs because they're like, oh, but I'm monogamous. And there's an assumption that that means, and like, oh, it's long-term. Like, I don't understand why doctors ask that. Like, how long have you been with someone? <laughs> they do ask that. Yeah. They've been like, oh, you're with someone. How long have you been together? Oh, it's only three months. Well, you should get an STD test. Oh, it's been two years, then don't. But that, that makes no sense, you know? Like, just keep, keep getting tested. <laughs> <laughs> How, what is this logic? There's like There's mental a gymnastics that's assumptions. happening. Yeah. There's just so many assumptions that are happening there. Oh, you guys are married? No STI testing. Yeah, definitely do don't have STI. Like, no, you don't know someone's situation, someone's dynamic. Like, yeah. Signing a marriage certificate means you don't get STIs. Yeah. <laughs> Magically. <laughs> Magically. The magic protector of STIs is signing a marriage certificate. Oh my God. Yeah. No. Mm. Oh, it's so terrible. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one of the things that definitely doesn't get talked about. And with that, really, when I was looking at stats for ST uh, or sex education in the United States, it's a lot of it's taught in middle school. That's where like sex education is directed towards is mm-hmm. middle school age students. But according to the CDC, they recommend 16 topics that are should be talked about for sex education. There's 16 main topics the CDC says that you should be discussing for proper sex education. And only one fifth of U.S. middle schools actually handle all 16 topics. So and yep. the one <laughs> least talked about is condoms and condom protection, how to properly use condoms, mm-hmm. all of that, how to utilize condoms in, in different ways. And and when this podcast airs, there's going to be videos on my TikTok and my Instagram about a condom and how to unpack <laughs> one, how to use it in different ways. So yes. yeah. So if you want to don't want to check that out, definitely check it out because with this, I learned that you don't necessarily, uh, most people do not receive mm-hmm. condom proper condom usage um education at all yeah, I, I didn't yeah I I had no I n- had no banana experience in any of my sex education things I had to look that up myself yeah my my mom taught me how to put a condom on wow, not my school that's a good mom <laughs> my mom way to go I think mom. my parents just knew that I was slutty and they were like Let's <laughs> talk about this <laughs> power to them <laughs> um so you know but like like even that shouldn't be how it's handled though like it like I shouldn't have to depend on my parent to teach me how to put a Mm -hmm. condom on it should be it should be taught to me but it wasn't and so yeah no I never I had it was one of those one conversations with my mother it was not ongoing it was not detailed it's just like this is what sex is which is the typical penetration uh male female whatever um Oh, not to be dismissive, <laughs> but there's so many more types of sex to be had than oh, just yeah. And I, just, yeah. I remember when my mom talked to me about sex, she was like, but anal is weird. You don't do oh, anal. No. But anal is, but anal's that's an exit hole. You don't do anal. And I was that's like, weird. she's shaming it. That's horrible. Oh, she like fully shamed anal. And I like grew up oh, no. thinking about that. So I grew up like, I remember um, like when my high school, we had like a, when we all graduated, we had like a girls sleep overnight because I like went to an all girls <laughs> private school and like we like played never have I ever and one of the girls was like never have I ever done anal and like the whole room just like looked at me like oh, the whole yeah. room and I was like uh, and I said no because I was so ashamed of like I hadn't done it at that point but I was also like thinking it was like such a gross thing I was like ew I would yeah. never <laughs> shame that yeah no I feel like I had a similar experience like in college only I was the only one that did it so I was like <laughs> 
like oops um yeah and I was I thought you know I thought it was so gross I was like that's gross I would never do such a thing and that's oh because God. it was stigmatized yeah. by the one person that was teaching me any sex education which was my totally. mom and thankfully I've been able to Overcome. learn and yeah and unlearn what I was stigmatizing but we don't talk about anal at all in sex education at all yeah. like it's it's really just like penis goes into a vagina um and even then when it's taught to us we only really learn about like penis goes into vagina maybe use a condom please be abstinent like that's that's what's taught and it's not you know we aren't teaching about lubrication which I think is a huge disservice to people who are coming of age or having their first sexual experiences because your first sexual experiences could be so much less painful Mm -hmm. with a little bit of lubrication with some with some lube and and also just preparing it properly I feel like there's such a sex should not be painful it should never be painful even your first time there's ways that you can like prepare like a vulva for penetration like you can start by using some fingers practice yourself use lube like I don't this there's literally still people to this day think that like having sex for the first time if you have a vulva has to have blood and has to be painful absolutely not it does not have to do that no it does not have to be painful it does not have to it's and we don't teach about that we don't we 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 normalize that to yeah that's like that's the the standard is like oh you should bleed and it should be painful like absolutely not no it should not be painful no. (laughs) no the majority of states stress abstinence and they do that in in thinking that it prevents people from having sex and that's how they go about it. But statistically, we're looking at 60% of teens currently are having or have had sex. Yeah. So, and then you can see, and I know correlative science is kind of bullshit science, so you can't really make a lot of assumptions, but you can see that the states that stress abstinence have higher rates of teen pregnancies and higher rates of STI transmission. So it's the kind of doing a disservice to those states. And again, I know correlative science, yeah. we can't necessarily be be making that connection fully. There's right. possibly other, you know, things that go into that. Right. I'm but not even saying- if we're yeah, even if we're not looking at the statistics just in by nature, you are already failing these people. You're saying we're not going to teach you how to have sex. We're going to um, the only thing you can do is wait until you're married and then you can have sex. But then what happens when you're married? Then you don't know what to do. That's like if we're using that pool analogy that we were talking about, that's like being like, you cannot learn how to swim until you're 25. And then as soon as you're 25, you just get pushed in the deep end. And they're like, okay, swim. Like swim. You're, you're already like, no matter what, you're going to get hurt. You're going to drown because like you have absolutely no idea what to do. Like yeah. we're completely failing these people. And like, even just these like young teens, like we, we know how many do have sex. So even if there's no correlation, they're going to have sex and they're going to get hurt if we do not teach them properly. Because they aren't talked or taught about condoms they are a lot less likely to use condoms that's one of the the things that you can also directly correlate or I I hate using the word correlate because I know every every scientist listening to this is gonna be like correlative science bullshit (laughs) um and I get it I understand that I I I know that like correlative science also has hugely uh, like racist background so Mm -hmm. we're, we're gonna try and not step on that thin ice um but you can see that there is a direct link we'll say it like that between not teaching about condoms and then 
people not using condoms because they yeah. don't know. Um, well, they don't and, know how to use them properly, even if they do have them. <laughs> yes. And, and a lot of people don't even know necessarily what condoms do. I have a dear, dear friend who talked to me about how um, they weren't aware that condoms protected from STIs, that they only knew that condoms protected from pregnancy or like were helped prevent pregnancy. So when they first started having sex, they didn't use condoms because they weren't fertile. They didn't have, uh, they weren't reproductive. So they were like, I don't need to use condoms because I'm not reproductive and condoms only prevent against pregnancy, not realizing that they also hugely prevent against STIs. I've, I've heard, I've had a friend that had a similar story of, oh, well, I can't get pregnant. So they just don't use condoms, but it's so important. Yeah. It's, it's much more than just getting pregnancy as yes, pregnancy is the worst disease of them all, but there's, <laughs> there's others the that go beyond the parasites, <laughs> the worst of the parasites, but it goes way far beyond that. Yeah, and then the I, I was actually just watching for one of my classes. There was, um, do you remember like years ago there was that like whole scandal about a pregnancy pact in one high school where like eighteen oh, girls yes. got pregnant? Well, it it turns out that wasn't actually the case. It just was extremely high levels of pregnancy in that one particular area. And I really wanted to look into what their sex education was, but just watching it, it just got me thinking about like how much we also just like victim like blame these children they're literally children and we're not teaching them properly like how to protect themselves and then we shame them for getting pregnant like as if it's not our fault <laughs> yeah big time i the amount of slut shaming we do to literal children is yeah. <laughs> wild to me wild like, my high school like a lot of my friends are always like it's crazy to me how like slut shamed you were by the high school and I'm like it, like how adults like adults leading right. my high school were like you slutty little child <laughs> like, yeah like even I just was, the dress code like yes <laughs> like I was literally a child and you were the adults supposed yeah. to be like helping me and instead of helping me or giving me the education or providing me with any information or helping me out you were just like you slutty little bitch shaming you because that's gonna be helpful because that's helpful right (laughs) that's super useful and we do that all the time we constantly are like oh she got pregnant when she was 16 what a little slut yeah common common thing that happens whereas that's not that oh and they're oh yeah and they're they're failure your life is over your life is over you're never gonna amount to anything because you just like you have you did the one thing you weren't supposed to do which is get (laughs) pregnant like (laughs) oh my gosh and 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 that's something that we just continually do and we're not taking the responsibility as adults to be like oh no it's me as an adult it's on me it's on me as the adult that I did not provide you with the proper information to be able to avoid this because yes teen pregnancy does make your life more difficult and and it's not fair and we need to be helping these children, yeah. literal children, literal children, <laughs> literal children, instead of blaming them for something yeah. that is our fault. Now, one thing we have not covered yet, there's still quite a bit, but I want to reel it back because this is probably the most important thing. And we talked about it on the Queer Collective episode, but we're going to talk about it here because it's absolutely mm-hmm. the most, 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 most important thing that we continually do not talk about. And you already know what I'm going to say. <laughs> consent Woo-hoo. do not discuss consent it is not something that's discussed in sex education yeah especially with uh, uh abstinence stressed sex education and again you see the trend of 
people experience more people experiencing sexual assault yep. uh, when they are without sex education. It mm-hmm. was let me see if I still have the stat, but I'm pretty sure it was like, you are twice as likely to experience sexual assault in college if you go into college without sex education. Yeah. Um, that is hugely has to do with our lack of discussing consent. Right, yeah, it's it's my my big topic. It's, it's largely why I want to be a sex educator because that it has harmed me so much in my life having to navigate figuring out how to properly give and have consent it should be taught from like the time you were in kindergarten just even giving a hug or I I remember like you know be I am from an Italian family so I have like a hundred relatives at like family gatherings and stuff that I didn't even know who they were as children and I'm just like I used to make jokes like oh I'm gonna accidentally hug the waiter because I have to go through every single person and give them a hug but this is a complete stranger to me and I like had to do it and it was so awkward and my parents would like push me and be like this is your aunt this is blah 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 like oh give them a hug give them a kiss like blah blah, blah. I'm like who why am I kissing the stranger on the cheek mm-hmm. it just taught me from an early age that like my body wasn't my own I just had to like do what people told me to do with it and then that was that and got no other messages for the rest of my life so it's just setting us up for failure like yet again absolutely and I and I grew up in Hawaii where uh like every person that you meet every person as a female or as a woman presenting person I am required to honi honi which is kiss on the side of the cheek Mm. every single person I meet really aunties uncles kids everybody everybody you are and I hate it I can't stress how much I fucking hate it I hate it so much I hate when people put their lips on my cheek that I don't know you it makes me cringe it makes sends shivers down my spine and Mm -hmm. especially being like a, a white person growing up in a place that is very indigenous it's like almost seen as like culturally disrespectful mm. for me to not accept the honey honey or for me to not do these right. things and so you're like okay I'm stepping on culturally sensitive toes here but also mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable and this right. is me not having control over my body and now I'm feeling like I have to do this and it's just such a terrible 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 experience and I think that consent is so so important that it doesn't need to just be taught on in sex education because it absolutely does it should be the first thing that we talk about in sex education it should be a thing that we dedicate not just a day to but like several several lessons to like huge lessons to the and when you start moving on to the other things it should always be at the forefront of all those other things that like consent needs to be asked before all of these things consent needs to be asked before you know anything even like the condoms that you use you should be asking for consent for the condoms that you put on to put on a person all of that like you should be having these discussions in sex ed but you should also be being taught this when you're like pregnant or when you're going to have a child, Mm -hmm. like it should be in those maternity classes or those birthing classes or any of that, that you should be teaching your child consent. Cause I know, like I just expressed, I know that like the inability to say no to a honey honey or the inability for, you know, when I would say stop when my family was tickling me and they wouldn't stop like that breaks the consent. And I know, I know for an absolute fact that that 
mess with me growing up because I would do things like hug people when they would say no like they'd be like I don't want to hug and I would still hug them regardless because I didn't understand that there's a boundary there that I didn't understand that there's uh, that I'm literally breaking somebody's consent because it is somehow I grew up in what I grew to understand that we that we could do whatever we want that's I could take your hug if I wanted it because everyone could take my hugs if they wanted them and I didn't want to give them to them so we're doing a huge disservice to people by not teaching this from the very, very young ages that you have control over your body and you have the control to say no and stop. And when no one stopper said that they are listened and addressed. Yeah. And just the nuances of consent in itself. Like um, when I used to date men and I thought I was a girl um, (laughs) back in the day, um, (laughs) like uh, the, the narrative, like on TV was so like, oh, the wife like hates the sex and then the husband has to beg them for sex and then eventually they'll give in like, oh, I guess I I accidentally slept with my husband this weekend. Ha ha ha. That is not consensual. That is messed up. And so then taking it into my relationships, I thought that like begging for it or once I said no was the normal thing and I was just supposed to give in. And that is an unconsensual situation. Mm -hmm. That is, that is not consent. Mm -hmm. If someone gives, says yes, eventually that is a no. And you are crossing a boundary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We talked about this in uh, the previous episode. I just did a wonderful episode of, uh, about polyamory. And we talked about ascent and how that like mm-hmm. has this huge gray line or like huge kind of weird area that we're trying to move away from. Because it's right. something that we even perpetuated for a really long time of um, you can like ascent to things where like yeah. your, you know, your body language says that you want things. Mm-hmm. And that just has a huge gray area on both sides right Right. where if you are saying that you want something and being and assenting to it like kind of with your action saying that you're consenting that grays the line for both sides right where if you take it back later that person doesn't understand because they thought you were consenting Mm -hmm. that you never actually said it so that so it just it's just a huge gray area and the studies have shown that a lot of the times when there isn't a verbal consent and then it's taken back later that a lot of the times it's because the person who assented to the things that they 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 wanted to do it is ashamed of what they've done so Mm. they would you know like they're ashamed of like especially racially that's that was a huge percentage of the studies was it was like I think it was like 75 percent of them are racially targeted where it's Mm. like like a person slept with a black man and doesn't want to admit that they slept with a black man so they're like oh I didn't unnecessarily consent but it's like but you also assented to the situation right so we need to be moving away from that completely of of that you can assent to these things because that's kind of what we normalize is that you know your body language says things we need to be moving away from that on all fronts because it's it just grays the line for both sides so both sides need to be saying explicitly yes and and moving forward with the explicit yes <laughs> right that's why i i loved the analysis of um listening for the no instead of uh, or listen the the common way that we have sex and that is normalized is that we're listening for a no like so you start making out with someone um and that means you're having sex apparently so you can just start touching them wherever you want you can just keep going and then if they say no then i, I stopped but i didn't hear a no so i kept going but uh the way that i think consent should be normalized is waiting for the yes and that's very common in the kink community as well is um it's very standard to like anything that you're doing hi can I give you a hug? 
And then you go over and give them a hug. Can I kiss you? Yes. Can I touch you there? And just keep getting yeses and yeses as you progress instead of just listening for a no, because that also sets up for a lot of failure in that like some people might not be prepared for what you're about to do and then they might freeze and then they might not say no but even though they're not enjoying the experience so body language stuff like that it's it's no guarantee and it's it's really important to keep asking and to progress wherever you're gonna go and what do you have to say to the people that are like oh that's not sexy oh that ruins the mood oh that like destroys (laughs) it I mean I you know that it bothers the fuck out of me too but I want you to I want I got an answer yeah good yeah well I think it's sexy as fuck and you can make it sexy as fuck like Mm -hmm. people like love when the way I say things like you can be like oh can I lick you here oh can I like go down on you like oh like do you like when I like am touching you like this like it doesn't have to be like can I please make out with you like that's the way people are envisioning it but Mm -hmm. it's like it's more like like you touch their hand and say can I kiss you like it's so much like sexier Mm -hmm. that's so hot like people love that like everyone wants to be asked if like they can do stuff like yes and the one that I love is how would you feel about that's what that's my favorite that's how I approach things you know I'm always like how would you feel about me flipping you over Exactly. Tell, yeah, me like, tell me that like, wasn't hot. Tell me that wasn't hot. Like yeah. I, I got tingles. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, like telling telling someone what you're gonna do to them, but like asking mm-hmm. them, like that's so hot. Like exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I think incorporate it into your role play. You know. <laughs> yes, exactly. So as a statistic, there's only ten states in the United States that teach about consent in their sex education. Oh Lord. and they they as you said they teach consent as listen for the no Mm. so they they don't teach consent as you should be you're continually getting yeses it's you should be listening for the no that no means no with that I want to say no means no asterisks unless explicitly discussed before right (laughs) I don't want to seem like I'm yeah I don't want to seem like I'm kink shaming your you you you, uh consensual non-consent people that's absolutely a wonderful kink it's great it's valid (laughs) you guys are wonderful I'm not trying to dismiss that because it's absolutely a thing. So no means no, unless explicitly discussed beforehand, of course. But we are teaching in these only 10 states that actually teach consent. They are also only teaching it in a way that like no means no. And you're listening for Mm -hmm. the no instead of listening for a yes, like you said. Right. (sighs) Again, just failing everybody. (laughs) All the the failures that failures. (laughs) honestly. With that, do you have a way that you think that we should define what proper consent looks like? Yeah, I don't have like a full on definition, but I, I really like the the waiting for the yes thing. Like that's like my new favorite term that I'm like saying to everyone because it's just I think that's perfectly described what I've been thinking about uh, so much. Like I was very drawn to the kink community myself and I think it was the culture around it and the vibe. And I was like, what is it about it? And then someone like perfectly just divined that for me. And I was like, oh, that's what it is because I don't have to walk in the space and assume someone's just going to grab me and touch me. Like if you go to a club, the guys will just like put themselves on you. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you didn't even ask if you could like do anything. But if you go to a kink club, then people will approach you and be like, hi, can I give you a hug? Can I do this? And I'm like, I love this environment. This is great. I love this consent. Like, (laughs) yeah. The amount of men that have like put their hands like up my skirt or like tried to pull my skirt up like at a straight club. Mm -hmm. That's not okay. Please don't do that. No matter how sexy I'm dancing. 
yeah, no matter how sexy I'm dancing, no matter how short my shirt is, no matter how much tit is popping out, that does not give you the right to do anything. To touch me, to spank my ass, to lift my skirt, to dance with me, to put your hands around my waist. So obviously I'm like not into you. (laughs) Like it's it's not a display. Oh my God. (laughs) Right? Yeah, that's the other thing. But I mean, that's completely kind of going off track a little bit, but men always (laughs) think that like when you're, when it's two like women or female presenting people, yeah. they're always like, oh, you're making out for my entertainment. Oh, this Absolutely is for, not. this is for, <laughs> yeah. Like, no, dear. No, I'm not kissing my girlfriend for your entertainment. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I absolutely love that. So uh, I think that that's, I'm, I'm glad that we covered this quite well of, of consent because there's obviously some other things that we should touch on, but I think that's the most important thing that yeah. we're going to say today is that yes, sex education needs to be so much more comprehensive and so much better in general, but the place that it needs to start is with better consent education. Yeah. So with that, like I said, 24 states um, require that abstinence is stressed. So they require it as in that is a thing that the state mandates that you say. Um, and like I said earlier, you see that the data shows that those states are also have a high STI transmission and high teen pregnancy rates. And multiple studies have shown that proper sex education reduces teen pregnancy and reduces um, STI transmission amongst teens. You have to look at this like data per capita because when you look Mm -hmm. at the data, you can be like, oh, California has huge amounts of teen pregnancy, but obviously California is also like a very populated (laughs) state. So you have to look at it. Yeah, it's huge. (laughs) So you kind of like look at it per capita of how many per area like per, I think it's like 10,000 pe- um, uh, teens, how many are getting pregnant and how's sex education in those states? And you definitely see the trend of a lot of STI transmissions, a lot of teen pregnancies in places where uh, abstinence is stressed. Though we are trying to move forward and there's people like you and I that are trying to continually progress and and make sure that this information is accessible to people. We have a huge uphill battle because since 2016, Congress approved 85 million in funding for abstinence-only sex education. And that's 2 billion in the past two decades. So stressful. (laughs) That just stresses me out. So yeah. how are you ever going to get educated? Just generally just, Hey, what is this thing? And the answer is no. <laughs> like, like I have a question about this thing. No, no, <laughs> like, that's not education. That's just saying, how do I do this thing? And we're not going to tell you to, you don't just don't do the don't thing. Do the thing. <laughs> just don't, don't do the thing. thing. And, I, and, and I, we're going to. yeah. And I love that your analogy of even people that are going to wait for marriage, which is yeah. fully valid. And yeah. And something that, you know, if if that's passionate to you, I'm so proud of you for being able to be committed to that. That is incredible. And, but like you said, when they get to the age of being married, they're, they're they're not going to know. Yeah. They're just being pushed in the deep end and they're not going to know. So we're still even doing those folks a disservice of not uh, explaining even what consent is because your, your marriage doesn't equal consent. That's another thing we should say. Your marriage does not equal consent. It's not a free for all. As soon as you're married, that doesn't mean that suddenly you can, can and should have sex. Cause I can't imagine being in that scenario of like suddenly feeling like oh I've been holding this back or I've chosen to do this my entire life and now I just can do it and 
that's terrifying. You have no idea how to do it. Like, like everyone else have no consent, no ability. And I can see how it would just feel like suddenly permission, but that's just so much anxiety. That's so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it does like, and there's also this like expectation of your wedding night, like as somebody oh, who gosh. waited for their wedding night, like I, I'm not somebody who waited for their wedding night, but like if you are a person who waited for your right. wedding night, um, that you are expected to like, please your spouse on your wedding night. And yeah. that's that, like, you don't need to do that. It's you, no. <laughs> you don't need to be like giving yourself this expectation that you need to feel great and let it ready to bang on your wedding night. Yeah. You your can wedding- take your time. Even if you are married, like when you're comfortable, yes. it's not suddenly like, oh, well now I have to do this. It's not ever a responsibility. Yes. And it like, I think it just seems so stressful. Like you're yeah. having this day of a huge day, this huge wedding day, you're getting married, there's a reception, you got to visit family, you got to talk, you got to eat, you got to do toasts, you got to do photos. And then you're expected to have sex for the first time that night. That's (laughs) so much. Me and obviously me and my wife had had plenty of sex already, but uh, we haven't had our wedding yet. We just are legally married because of COVID obviously. Mm. Um, But like, we already are like, we're not having sex on our wedding night. Like we're gonna be fucking tired and stressed. Like there's no fucking way that's happening. Like so I can't imagine then the pressure of like needing to do that for the first time. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, for the very first time after all this like months and months of stress that have led up yeah. to this huge day that you put on. And then you also need to put on basically a show of your first time uh, that night. Like, oh Lord, I can't even imagine. That just sounds so obscene and so stressful. Yeah. But like, but yeah, like I said, it's not just like schools that we're working against, right? Because it's, a lot of it does, you know, schools are fighting to not have to teach this stuff. They're fighting to keep abstinence only, uh, you know, education. It's Mm -hmm. that Congress and our government are agreeing to that. They're saying, yes, that's the correct way to go about it. Here's the rules, here's the money. And so people like you and I that are trying to provide this information are fighting against $2 million of- of, And censorship. And like, they're just trying to- all angles trying to keep down any information what is this agenda i don't know (laughs) it is it's incredibly difficult and incredibly frustrating especially i mean people right now we you know this is we're filming this the week of chaos that erupted (laughs) in the united states um absolute chaos that erupted in the united states and you know uh donald trump's twitter has gotten taken down and people are like that's censorship that's you know you're not allowed to do that that's a that's the you're taking away the first amendment and Mm -hmm. you know freedom of speech one first off to anybody thinking at twitter is a private owned company Mm -hmm. and uh as a reminder you republicans made it very clear that no no cakes for you (laughs) (laughs) that you wanted businesses to be able to refuse service on the accord of being able to refuse service to people that are homosexual to people to the Mm -hmm. gays to the gays you wanted people to refuse service to the gays so as a private owned business twitter is allowed to refuse service to people that they don't want to deal with so that's remember that real quick as a just a Mm -hmm. little reminder to everybody but beyond that yes it's you know you can call it censorship to some degree but you are you are censoring things that are actually helpful so you're you were censoring something that is 
is hate speech that led to terrorism (laughs) that led to just absolutely disgusting terrible things that happened this week Mm -hmm. that's what's being quote-unquote censored on twitter whereas the opposite side is absolutely censoring the ability for us to educate on things that are helpful and And risking people's health otherwise and risking people's health absolutely life absolutely so it's really i think it's beautifully ironic (laughs) i'm gonna say it that way (laughs) Right. It's very, very ironic. There's harming the the consent, harming their health, harming their life, harming just everything. (laughs) Absolutely. I I think one thing that I didn't touch upon that I just want to do before we say any of our last things, because this was an absolutely incredible conversation. And for the consent, we did not talk about how you cannot consent when you're drunk or intoxicated. Mm -hmm. And I want us to touch on that because um, I think people don't necessarily understand or or, or get that. Um, I've of course made videos about it. And then lots of, lots of men have been like, right. that's not real. I, you, if you, <laughs> if you, if you can um, be resp- held responsible for driving a car when you're drunk, then you can't, then, <laughs> then you can consent when you're drunk. It doesn't, the Wait, mental what? gymnastics <laughs> that you guys do. Yeah. Like the mental gymnastics that you guys you can't do drive when un- you're drunk. So what? <laughs> Yeah, like it's it's unreal. Like that, those are actually my comments right now, and so I, I want yeah. us to touch on this because I think it's an extremely important por- portion of consent that's not taught pretty much anywhere. Um, right. Is that you can't consent legally? Legally, right. you cannot consent mm-hmm. when you are drunk. I don't think people know that that when right. you are when you're inebriated, legal consent cannot cannot be had. Um, and- right, and the the culture behind it of like literally like I I don't know I mean growing up like on tv you would see like oh like I want to hook up with this girl I'm gonna give her more alcohol like it's predatory like Mm -hmm. that's that's sexual assault (laughs) um and uh, we don't discuss it in a way that is productive or progressive and and again we don't address that it is a legal issue that you cannot be consenting when you are drunk um, and like you said, we romanticize it. It is a hugely thing romanticized by media, by, you know, uh, pretty much everyone that you go to. That's, that's like the thing, right? Like I'm going to go to the club and like find somebody to hook up with. Like that's the thing. That we, yeah. I'm going to get fucked. I'm going to get fucked up. And then I'm going to get fucked. Like, that's the thing that we've, I feel like I've done, yeah. like we've all kind of perpetuated yeah. in that, in that because we don't understand that you cannot be consenting when you are drunk. And so I just want to touch on that and make sure that we understand. And for those asking, like, how, like, what does that mean? Um, I'm sure that there's people that are like, oh, have I sexually assaulted people? Have I been sexually assaulted? I think that the, what needs to happen is for one, if you're, if you're both in, intoxicated, I'm not saying you're sexually assaulting each other. Right. It's, because it's, there's very real experiences where people feel like they are consenting if they're together like. yes yes there's very there's there's quote-unquote exceptions to this rule and i hate fucking saying that because somebody hears right. exceptions and they're like exceptions. And they're like, that means i can do it <laughs> yeah, that means i can do it that's right. not that's not what that means but what it means is i think we need really need to reframe the way that we are teaching consent yeah. it's not right. necessarily that you are evil and then done bad things it's that you weren't aware but that's yeah, it's to be aware thing. that yeah that that is a thing and you should be conscious of that if you are going out etc cetera, etc cetera. it's not that you are have been assaulting people because there are people that do feel that they had consensual situations in that setting exactly and 
you know, we constantly talk about how you can't drive a car when you're drunk, but we don't talk about how you can't give consent when you're drunk. Um, We don't, you know, have those conversations. So I think it's just about having the conversations so that you know that you're aware that you shouldn't be consenting when you're drunk or somebody else can't consent when they are drunk. Um, Just as like, just as you would take your friend's keys away, if they were trying to drive their car home, you should also be telling your friend that they can't go home with somebody because they can't. I thought you were going to go with, go with, take the condoms away, but I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. In college, I, like in college, again, I didn't understand this. I didn't understand that you couldn't consent when you were drunk. So I would just give friends condoms when they were drunk and trying to go hook up with people like Mm. I carried like mass amounts of condoms with me to the club for when people were like I'm taking this person home I'd be like here's six condoms well at least there's that though like at least they have the protection but (laughs) yes (laughs) you know well now and as now I and again I I don't think it falls on friends or on society to be to be mandating these things but you know I now that I do know and understand and you know uh, I would be like, hey, uh, how about we go home and you just get their number, and then yeah. in the morning, if you still want to fuck this person, then you can fuck them tomorrow. Like their dick is still gonna be there tomorrow, I promise. <laughs> like, <laughs> but you know, so I I just want to touch on that, and I want to make sure that we drive that home that mm-hmm. that consent is extremely important and that you shouldn't be doing it when you are under the influence. Well, is there anything else that we should discuss of how? how sex ed has failed us oh should we touch on um, how sex ed has failed us as far as relationships and right yeah yeah definitely I think that like another huge thing like you mentioned the comprehensive uh sex education has like relationships like but we don't know exactly what what that means right like I feel like even um we have like a culture of monogamy and we're like uh taught that it is assumed it is uh default and that we all have the same style of monogamy and I feel like that causes a lot of um discrepancies in people's relationships um like in the polyamorous community I know that it's very a lot of like communication like as soon as you meet someone you're like this is my relationship style this is what I expect out of partners this is what I do like I'm either an anarchist or I'm hierarchical or I have a primary etc etc but there's no discussions of that like within monogamy either Mm -hmm. like what I think an important discussion to have with any new partner if you are monogamous is what does cheating look like to you? Because people have such different answers for that. People are like looking at porn as cheating or like uh, liking a girl's picture as cheating to like, oh, I don't care if you make out with someone cause like you're coming home with me. So everyone has like different what they expect. And I feel like that's so important to talk about like when you're getting into a relationship, like what, what does a committed relationship look like to you? If we are both monogamous, what do we want out of this? Yeah. What are the boundaries of your monogamy Yeah. Um, or, or non-monogamy, ethical non-monogamy? Obviously, then you also need to be de- developing boundaries. But I think that, yeah, like, as you said, we don't discuss that monogamy also should have boundaries and that you should yeah. also be discussing those, that you should be consenting to your monogamous relationship. Yeah. Um, because like you said, not everybody knows what Ever, what is what to what's cheating to somebody and what what boundary that you have you know I feel like uh that's a huge thing that goes under talked about and should be discussed in health education is how to formulate these yeah. proper relationships and yeah. 
have proper healthy communication within relationships um, and that falls into you know relationships and sex education is is communication um, and how to have healthy communication um, I think that we need to be teaching about boundaries and providing resources or how to set your own boundaries and how to mm-hmm. communicate your own boundaries um, because not every person is going to communicate their boundaries in the same way yeah. um, not every person has the same boundaries you know you can't just like give a guideline for what your boundaries should look like and how you should talk about them because every person is different every person has their own trauma their own history so it's more of providing resources and giving people directions on how to build your own boundaries and then how to communicate those right and just normalizing conversations in any relationship whether we're talking about sex or the relationship dynamic everyone's just so afraid of talking about it and it's just it should be a very early discussion of like this is what I expect this is what I'd like and then the same goes for these are my boundaries sexually like this is what I like this is what I don't like it's it should be more normalized I fully agree fully agree now with that is there anything else that you think that we should touch on on how sex education has just really failed (laughs) failed our society did we talk about like pleasure and stuff? I think that we we did bring it up on the Queer Collective podcast, um, but it's something that we can always reiterate is that sex doesn't need to be an end goal of an orgasm, um, that it can be for pleasure, that you define what sex means to you. I think a lot right. of times we're like, oral sex isn't sex. Sweetie, it's, it's right <laughs> in the name, right there. It says there. It. It says right there. It's right there. Oral right sex like you are having sex it is sex it's sex it's and and we need to be a bit more understanding of of the definition of what sex is and how to teach that to people um because as you said sex should be for for pleasure right it should be something that's pleasurable not just something that you like do out of obligation to your spouse right and i i was looking at my notes over here i I wanted to mention this specifically because I remember um, how we would learn. We would, you remember those diagrams in class we would get like uh, first in sex education. So we'd have like just the external uh, genitalia, um, and you would just get a picture of the um, the uterus, but not the vulva itself. So like we would be like, okay, like that's the vagina, but we wouldn't talk about like we just ignore a whole section. We'd be like, mm-hmm. okay, we're there's we're just gonna ignore this clip but it's like literally just like a natural part of the body also it's like one second of and this is the clitoris it has a lot of nerve endings like this is the area for pleasure but for some reason even in a sex education class the concept of pleasure is so taboo Mm -hmm. it probably has to do with like oh you can only teach reproductive sex education like sex does not exist for pleasure but that's absolutely ridiculous (laughs) yeah and it's ridiculous because the clitoris is the only organ that is designed purely for pleasure. It's, it's <laughs> fully erectile tissue, erectile tissue, um, and it's designed purely for pleasure. It's only, yeah. its only job is to make you feel good. Um, and so because of that, we don't talk about it. And we only learned yeah. the clitoris is the large horseshoe-esque oh. thing that it is in the 1990s. So within the last yeah, 30 so years, <laughs> in the last 30 years, we learned that the clitoris is not just this little bean that sits at the top of your, <laughs> the top of your, right. you know, and we, we knew that the G spot existed, but it's actually just an extension of the back of the clitoris that mm-hmm. you're hitting like through the vaginal wall. So it's like, 
there's just so much that people don't know like even just talking to people my age like they half of them have no idea that what the shape of the the wishbone clitoris that we have yeah <laughs> I, I love people when I show it to people and they're like what is that I'm like what do you mean what is that what what do you <laughs> what do you what do you mean like a, a lot yeah. of times it's people who have vaginas it's a lot there's of times so much misinformation oh there's so much misinformation and yeah like it's a lot of times it's people who have vaginas who I show like a clitoris to and they're like what is that and I'm like what do you right yeah I have one (laughs) yes I I had sex with a man back in the day and I was like ow you hit my cervix and like had to readjust or whatever um and um he was like sorry what's a cervix and I was like I will let you know in a second but I'm not gonna stop and like give you like a whole diagram but let's just like readjust and I like drew a diagram after and stuff and I was like god there's just like I know I never I'm gonna shame someone for not knowing something because it's just it's just a representation of like the lack of education but then later I was talking to one of my uh girlfriends oh sorry I hate that one of my friends that were our girls and um (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. And then he was like, what's the, what's the cervix? And then she was like, what is the cervix? I was like, God damn it. Like, Oh <laughs> so no. And I just like, that really just like stuck home to me. Cause I was like, oh damn. Like, so no one knows. Any no of one knows what it is. Just, yeah. It's and so bad. <laughs> that's the thing that we always also normalize or perpetuate in our society as like, and we even like kind of teach this in sex education is like the big dick gives you the get oh, is God. good and like you know it's no. like, on a big dick for all of these reasons and like it it's it's I don't want to say it's a lock and key situation because that's not true because you can do different things with different sizes but mm-hmm. every person with a vagina has different lengths that are good for you because your cervix sits different places and different people and a great way to test this is with playing with yourself and seeing Mm -hmm. how deep your finger goes before you are hitting your cervix and then you can understand how deep your cervix is and that helps in the future with things like you know how big of tampons should you use how big of a diva cup should you get is this dick going to be right. too big for you? Like, <laughs> and, and part of the process of getting uh, turned on properly, the cervix does uh, retract a little, mm-hmm. like as you get turned on, it like actually provides a little more space. So like, if you just, you know, stick it in right now before being uh, turned on or anything, you might feel it more than if you were in the act of having sex or have like had had a lot of foreplay also. So sometimes that is a sign that you're not as turned on as you could be if uh, you do get hit because the same partner might hit my cervix one time but not another time yeah and I and it's also just about learning about positions because that's another thing that we don't talk about in such education is the different right. positions because we're just like it's missionary man on top woman on bottom put the penis in the vagina and you come that's it um <laughs> uh that's not how it is there's different positions and different positions are comfortable for different people a lot yeah, of the times and more pleasurable. A lot of times I myself have a little bit of a tilted uterus. She's a bit on the bit on the side. So if I'm laying on one side and you know my partner is um, hitting me from one side, feels wonderful. The other side hurts mm-hmm. because of a tilted uterus. Right. So that's just learning about my own body and learning how right. that work and so that that's something that we're also disturbing people with is not teaching them these different positions because it's not just you know teaching them different positions so that they can have different positions and have wild times and funs but teaching them different positions so that they know 
of different options for if certain yeah. things don't work for them. You know, yeah. I think that we talk constantly talk about how wonderful doggy is. Everyone's like, doggy's the best. Doggy's <laughs> a wonderful position. And don't get me wrong, I personally like it, but I know certain people yeah. that have like a, uh, is it called retracted uterus? Is that the correct word? Where it's basically flipped the other way. So instead of your oh, uterus yeah. kind of sits over your bladder, because your uterus kind of, or the way that it is, it kind of uh, is like a little C shape almost sort of, is that how you would describe that? A little bit kind of a C shape, like a little, I don't know how you would, <laughs> it's like a- Are you talking about the cervix? <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, the cervix. Did I say, sorry. The cervix yeah, is kind of a- uterus. Sorry. <laughs> the, the cervix yes. is kind of a, a, a C shape, sort of, elongated yeah. C sort of. And normally it kind of hits over your bladder, but certain people have it in the opposite direction. So it'll go over your bowel, which is mm. a huge issue, which we don't, again, don't talk about, um, can lead to things like digestive issues, a lot of back pain. Um, but for people like that, being in doggy can be extremely uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. so when we're not teaching different positions and when we're normalizing all of these, this one position is great for everybody. That's not true because everybody's stuff can be very different. So we need to be right. teaching different positions and different ways to go about it and saying things like your uterus can be tilted. It can be backwards. It can be all sorts of different things. So when you are experimenting, if something doesn't work for you, you can have other options to try and see if that works better for you. And that can tell you more about your body. Yeah, just getting to know yourself. And yeah, I also realized that I'd been, we've been talking about the cervix for a while and didn't actually define what it was. Uh, so, <laughs> so if anyone doesn't know, because I know a lot of people probably don't know, but it's the, it's the bottom of the uterus essentially. So yeah. uh, you have like the, the canal and then there's kind of like a, it almost looks like the head of a penis actually. Like it's, it's what is clamped when you get a, um, a pap smear and they go into your cervix and wipe that um what are those called the stirrups that's mm -hmm. what the stirrups are hanging on to essentially is the bottom of your uterus it's just the opening yeah basically but it's like kind of hard and spongy a little and then it will like like I said retract a little if you are turned on mm -hmm. another thing hugely not talked about your period oh god your period oh my yeah. goodness <laughs> The amount that the sex education has, system has failed us is huge, but I'm glad we talked about the main things, the, yeah. the, the big things that need to be discussed. We can always do a part two. If you guys have questions, please mm -hmm. leave them for Zoe and I. Zoe and I will gladly um, go back over the stuff that you've said, the messages that you've sent me and yes. um, bring up more stats, bring up more things to talk about, and maybe in the future do a part two to continue this conversation because it is extremely, extremely important. And Absolutely. we do want to provide you with the information that is needed that you unfortunately are being held back from receiving by your education system that doesn't want to teach it to you. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on yet again. Um, you have been so kind to have not even just a, not just a talk with me on my private podcast, but a talk on the, on the TQC <laughs> podcast, a talk here. You are going above and beyond to provide <laughs> sex education to people. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Before you head out, <laughs> give us one more time where everyone can find you because everyone needs to definitely go follow you so that they can yeah. ask you sexy <laughs> questions if they need to, or you know, Heck yes. clarify <laughs> things, whatever it may be, and support your amazing, amazing goal to better the future. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm Pats for Zoe. That's P-A-T-Z, the number four Z-O-E on Instagram and also TikTok. 
Perfect. Perfect. And thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it.